this week when it comes to talking about Ohio State transfers and the portal and all that kind of stuff. I feel like quite a bit has happened. Quite a bit has continued to happen, I guess. And and I assume well into the future, lots of things will happen as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Kyle McCord's destination obviously plays a big part of that. We're going to talk a little bit about men's basketball, believe it or not. That's a thing. Um national things going on with transfers and recruiting and all that kind of stuff and uh, an investigation from the Florida government into the college football playoff committee. So I'm excited about that. Before we get into all of those things, it's a very Florida show today <laughs> between is, Miami poaching is. and the Florida government. That's right. Well, and as you our resident Florida man uh, have to kind of give us some insight here, I think yeah, sophisticated crispy critters that's, such as myself. That's right. That's right. The king, the king of the crispy critter. Um, so uh, here's the thing. Let's talk a little about the Kyle McCord situation. Kyle McCord, for those of you who don't know, is officially transferring to Syracuse. I don't think that's where Kyle McCord expected to land when he entered the portal. Uh, but that's that's where he's going. And, you know, that kind of comes on the heels of uh, some reports from like the dispatch and Pete Thamel talking about uh, Pete Thamel at ESPN talking about um, the, you know, the process that went to all of this and kind of the interactions between Ohio State and the McCords, uh, including Kyle and then, you know, possibly uh, the rest of his family. The, the biggest thing for me with all of this is that I think it's is a really good um, exemplar. It, it's a really good moral lesson. Not moral lesson. What am I trying? It's a, it's, it's a, a cautionary tale, I guess, a little bit about the uh, folly of trying to predict either how the portal might help you or the how the portal might hurt you. And I can kind of understand, we'll get to this a little bit uh, more a little bit later, I can kind of understand why Ohio State and Ryan Day seem extremely reluctant to want to rely on the portal um, to build long-term. It, it, it seems like something that really they don't like, and they don't want to play that game right now. And I think the Kyle McCord, um, you know, I don't want to call it a saga, because it's not exactly, we're not talking a multi-part series here, but the, the Kyle McCord, uh, you know, era here has ended pretty abruptly and i think for him who's going to syracuse uh not a team nearly as talented as ohio state the the national attention will not be there i think maybe it didn't work out quite the way he thought it would either yeah i i wonder at this point how the team really does feel about the portal you're because to your point it it does feel like that there's almost a reluctancy to kind of look at that as a, an opportunity for, um, you know, bringing in new talent to compete. It seems like that they're more resigned to wanting to lean on, um, you know, folks that have the experience in the program and have shown that commitment, which I think is part of the reason that McCord – kind of ascended the position that he did to begin with at Ohio State. Um, it's a little bit concerning, I think, just because not only do you want to see them make the most of the opportunities, but you know, they it's not like the portal has been an unsuccessful venture for them. Yeah. 
They, yeah, Sermon they've gotten some incredible guys at the portal. Going further than Justin Fields, who was like the first big like name to enter the portal and really set a great tone for Ohio State in the portal. Mm-hmm. Then they also followed it up with Trey Sermon, who ended up being probably the most pivotal member of that 2020 uh, national championship run other than um, Justin Fields himself. So they've, you've had examples of, you know, parts of this team leaning on the portal for getting to the postseason in Ryan Day's tenure and to see them not make the most of that in recent seasons is is pretty disappointing um but i i also think i you can understand in in theory them wanting to lean on guys that have been in the program and and players that are are showing the kind of commitment that you know players that aren't going to necessarily just up and leave right away that are going to realistically give you a chance to see them for three or four years. Right. I don't know how realistic that is in the current age that we live in, as we're dramatically seeing players swayed by interests that go beyond, you know, extracurricular uh, considerations. Um, But, We'll see how quickly that they adapt to the current landscape. We we were a little bit worried that they were kind of late to the the ball in terms of the, the Wild West stuff that was going on with NIL and the SEC. And you know, as as the market has continued to fall into place, which it really is now is a, a market mm-hmm. for you know players, you know, bidding their services, it uh it, it it will be interesting to see how things play out. I'm I don't necessarily think Ohio State is doing things the wrong way for what their interests are, but if the if the market or the the landscape plays out in college football in a way where you see these programs that are just willing to throw dollar sign Texas at <laughs> any player whether they're just coming in from high school yeah. or coming off or have just entered the portal, you you hope that within the next season or two they they go back and look at the success that they had in the portal pre-NIL era, which I think is an important consideration too. They got, you know, Justin Fields and Trey Sermon. If we were talking about NIL era considerations, them having that, would Ohio State have had the same shot at landing those players? Right. If uh, or and would they have even tried? Right. Like right. And that's actually what I think is interesting about all of this is that you know, with especially consideration to the quarterback position, I think they made the conscious decision that if they go after a guy and dump all their NIL money on a guy like you know Cam Ward or whoever. Um, they're going to, first of all, they're not going to have anything else for anybody else, right? Which is a big deal. 
they're going to lose at least one of their backup guys, right? Like Devin Brown might be gone. Lincoln Keenholz might be gone. Both of them might be gone. That would be a huge blow to their depth and, and possibly really bad in the long term. And the other thing is, is like, and, and maybe this is something that will kind of, you know, bear out in the next few weeks here. I don't, I, I would hope, right? And, and maybe this is just wishful thinking on my part. Maybe they're really trying to get some of these guys to come back. Maybe you've got some dudes with NFL eligibility and they've said, instead of putting all our money in the transfer portal where this could be a complete crapshoot, let's stick with the known quantities and try to retain the core of our team, at least as, as much as we can, right? And again, does that mean Emeka's coming back? Does that mean Travion Henderson's coming back? I don't know. I mean, I don't. I would love to see that. I don't think it's super likely that you get all of these dudes coming back. But I think maybe their mentality is, is like, let's concentrate on our guys right now and then see who we keep, see who we get. And then in the next transfer portal window here that's coming up here, right, in the, in the spring, um, then we can figure out how to, um, you know, bolster our team and make our, our roster better. And to that point, I mean, there was, a, um, you know, we had a, uh, an article here uh, that Dan put out a few days ago talking about, you know, the, the guys on the team with some NFL decisions to make. You, I mean, obviously big names. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., he's going to the league. I don't think anybody expects otherwise. I think that would be insane if he didn't. Uh, but a guy like Emeka, um, Denzel Burke, I think probably gone, but nobody really knows. Trayvon Henderson has uh, not made a decision. He's been vehement about having not made a decision. Uh, Tui Moloow, Jack Sawyer, Tyleek Williams, Mike Hall, Donovan Jackson, Jordan Hancock. You got a lot of these guys who, you know, they have a decision to make. And I, I truly feel that it's a real decision. In past years, it might have been a situation where it was like, well, then they're just all gone. Um, and I wonder if Ohio State is trying to make this a, a, a more difficult choice for them. And so I guess my question to you then is, George, is like of those guys, you know, that, that Dan kind of wrote about, and it's particularly the big name guys like Burke and Henderson and, and Mecca and all that, how many of them do you expect to actually stay? Or how, I guess expect maybe is kind of a strong word, but how many do you think have maybe a chance of deciding that they're going to, you know, do another year at Ohio State? I think it, I think they're probably waiting to see who makes the first move mm. and then we're going to kind of see a, a domino effect in one way or the other. I wouldn't be shocked to see a Mecca come back. I wouldn't either, especially this know that, with the, the wide receiver class coming out this year, right? Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if he feels like he can improve his draft position. I think somebody, I, I thought Dan maybe said he like, the consensus is like 14th right now overall. Mm -hmm. Is that right? I wonder if he thinks like another season uh, in college would potentially rise his top, his stock into top 10. If that on top of getting, you know, a comparable deal to come back um, for a year would end up being worth it for his career. Right. I think it probably would be. Um, but yeah, I think it also depends on if, you know, he's looking at how competitive the, the class for receiver is. And, uh, there's also, you know, I, not, not that Ohio state receivers have necessarily suffered for coming out in the same class as we saw with, uh, Olave and Wilson, but 
you know, he might be looking at it as, you know, if Marv really is this player that is going to be a, a top two lock for a pick at this point, what do you, how does that affect the market for the rest of the first round? Right. Would it be better for him to wait for a year? So I think it's very realistic for Emeka to come back, but I think the most pivotal player is probably Henderson. At this point, I yeah, think right? once I think once Henderson is in place, you're going to see a lot of players on both sides of the ball make a decision about what they want to do. I remember a few years ago, there was, in terms of players announcing that they were coming back, um, I think one of the most early ones that was, you know, shocked a few people was when Haskell Garrett said he was going to be back for his senior year. Mm -hmm. And it ended up not being a good decision and kind of nuked his draft stock. But it, I remember that because it happened early on enough and he was such an impactful player on the team that year, it made such enough of an early impression that it encouraged other players on the team to announce in short order that they were also coming back. So I would expect a similar effect with any one of the impact players that you just mentioned, but I think Henderson in particular would make a considerable impression. I I agree with that. And I think especially given the, you know, the news um, and more recruiting news here that uh, Ohio state just lost Jordan Lyle uh, to Miami um, who got flipped. Uh, he had committed, Jordan Lytle committed in April and, you know, been part of this class for a while. And, and it is now, you know, a hurricane, or at least assuming will be a hurricane. I mean, who knows how it's going to work out in the end. But It is a whirlwind of a situation. That's right. Very good. Thank you. Uh, but my question, and this is what I was kind of thinking about today, how much of this is a ticking clock? I mean, you've got a, you know, you've got a bowl game coming up here right? And in, in less than a week and a half, do they have to make a decision before all that? Because I assume, I mean, as of now, nobody, like not that many guys have said officially they're, they're setting out, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty much, you know, if they're transferring, they're not playing, but everybody else is ostensibly on board and practicing. So do these guys have to make a decision on that before the cotton bowl? I mean, I don't, I don't have know. to, I mean, but you know, like, I feel like they, they would, right? I mean, it, it just speaks to, like, the the peculiar situation that these teams that are playoff contenders that don't make the playoffs fall into. Right. And I think it's one of the reasons why they're going to the expanded format next year because mm-hmm. you, you do have these, you know, it's not the same. A lot of these players that, you know, have their – are trying to like build draft stock have already built it where a postseason appearance in, you know, the, the Meineke car care bowl or what have you is not going to give them the same potential stock that it would if they were say, you know, a Kyle McCord at Syracuse. (laughs) Yeah. Like, right. You, so it's, great that next year we're not going to have to worry about a situation like this presumably 
at least if Ohio State finishes with an 11 and 1 record again, mm-hmm. even if that one loss is to Michigan for a fourth year in a row. I I just try to compare it to like the Rose Bowl situation a few years ago mm-hmm. and I I remember having a greater sense of optimism about that just because I knew how loaded Ohio State was at receiver and I knew that it was just basically going to be an exhibition showcase for CJ Stroud. Right. This could have been a showcase for Kyle McCord, but instead we have what I think is slowly just becoming more of a reflection of what the current state of college football is. And if Ohio state ends up losing to Missouri I think it could end up, unfortunately, being a reflection of the fact that the program is not necessarily aligned with what the current forces for success are dictating needs to happen, if that makes sense. No, because I, I, yeah. all the narrative up to the bowl game at this point has been transfer portal and nil related right and none of it has been good i mean you can't really like spin it in ohio state's favor but at the same time you you look around what's happening with a lot of other programs that aren't actively going into the playoff and even some programs like alabama that are and are still seeing you know members of the program transfer Mm -hmm. um even before they're about to go play michigan but it still doesn't make you feel great, you know, when you see players all, you know, decommitting and then flipping. But again, when they all end up going to the same place, like it's it's been, I think the unofficial visit that Houston took, one of them was to Miami. The other one was, yeah. what, Alabama or Clemson. And yeah. then Lyle. And then there was the other defensive lineman that flipped there was the big controversy that he had uh, literally a stack of money in his recruiting graphic. Yeah. Justin, Justin Scott. Yeah. Right. So it's like, it's no open secret and they're all coming down here. Cause you know what? It's, it's pretty good and they're getting paid. So, right. you know, it's uh, they, they get one day of winter in Columbus and then they realize they can go to the beach down here in December. And it's <laughs> right. It's they, tough they get off to the beat plane, that, they man. They see snow, they get right back on the plane. Right. It's, it's Bien tough to beat that. Amiami. So that's not a reflection of like, oh, they're turned off by the coaching staff and the Ohio State program is in the toilet. No, it's, you know, they're, they're, you know, about to be college kids and they've got different priorities well, with the opportunities they have. And also, so I mean, what it is. people were gawking at Texas A&M having a trillion five stars and, you know, rumors about them just dropping tons of cash on these kids. And it's like, okay, well, how did that turn out, right? I mean, how long did those guys stay on campus? That I'll never forget when the, I can't, the, well, it's funny because I said I'll never forget, but I'm forgetting who the recruit was that actually <laughs> said it. But he was one of the top five-star recruits, and right. he went to uh, visit them. And it was like, oh yeah, they're getting all the, they're throwing all this money at all these players, and they got these recruiting classes every year. But then this recruit, the only thing he said while he was there was, "I don't see no trophies." Yes. <laughs> 
But that's the thing. And look, I'll see no trophy. You see any trophies in Miami? Yeah, and, and the thing, well, not recently, at least, but or at least not within the lifetimes of these recruits. And and that's the thing, though. Like I know it can sound like sour grapes, like ah, we didn't want them anyway, and they're not going to win, or blah blah blah. I I do think that it just speaks to um, the larger intentionality that Ohio State and, and Ryan Day have right now. I, I think they they really do feel like in this current inter, uh, incarnation of the NIL and, and transfer portal, like going after guys is a fool's errand. Um, and whether that's true or not, I don't know. I mean, I think there are definitely guys in the portal who can help them out, and, and they've they've gotten guys who can help them out, right? And they're, you know, Igbino's son, I, I think, made an immediate impact with Ohio State, was a solid guy for them. But I also think that they just don't want to get into a bidding war with other teams. And that's understandable. I get that. If that approach works, that means that they'll be able to bring it back some dudes. And, it, you know, you were talking about, like, how other teams are perceived to have more success. The transfer portal, all that kind of stuff. Well, Michigan football, I mean, they've beaten Ohio State three times in a row. And they've done it largely by retaining the core of their team. Uh, they've gotten in some transfers, but for the most part, they have kept the same guys for years at this point. Um, and it's paid off. Like they, they have developed dudes. They've created uh, really good uh, defensive offensive lines. They have extreme depth on the defensive line. Uh, that's a result of guys being in the same program for a long time. And like, I don't know if that's necessarily the model because they're about to, <laughs> they're going to lose 44 seniors, probably another dozen or so, who are going to leave early? Uh, they're, they're, they got a lot to, to rebuild with, or they're going to have to rebuild a lot um, coming out of uh, you know the playoff, however that looks like for them. But if they walk away with the national championship, then that you know then that justifies all of it, the entire approach. So I don't know. I, I think before I freak out about losing guys in the transfer portal or you know getting flips or whatever, I want to see what the next couple of weeks look like. I don't think the cotton bowl is going to tell us either way about, you know, how it turns out about, you know, whether the approach is successful or not. I just want to see who returns. And then maybe if they start filling in some key positions, I think running back, I mean, we talked about this running back is a big, big deal to make sure that that's something that has depth and talent there next season. Um, Henderson comes back. That fixes a lot of problems. If he doesn't, then I think you got to start figuring some things out really, really quickly because quarterback position. I mean, you've got a guy in Aaron Nolan coming in who I think is incredibly talented. You've got another guy in Devin Brown who was neck and neck uh, with McCord all the way up until the very end. Although, I mean, I think McCord kind of showed that, you know, he, he deserved to get that spot over Brown. But my point is, is that to me, if there's a critical position that you really got to worry about, that is kind of the, you know, the bell cow here to, you know, talk about or at least be exemplary of the state of how this is all working out for Ohio State I think it's the running back position um, and we're going to see what that looks like here in the next you know two or three weeks so hopefully everything works out great hopefully you get some guys coming back that you didn't expect but I think a lot's still up in the air I think there's still a lot that we have to um, see how it plays out before we can make that determination um, all right so real quick so that's you know, recruiting and, and transfers and all that stuff. I want to talk real quick, though, before we get to ask us anything about men's basketball. Let's talk about shooty hoops for a second. Because Ohio State went down to Atlanta. There was some risky business in the A, but they beat Mick Cronin's UCLA team. And it was not 
a pretty game. It was not uh, the most entertaining game. I don't think either team like hit a three until I don't I think like fourteen minutes into the game or something stupid. They did do the USC UCLA thing where they wore like that's right the, the color uniforms. The, the, that's right. Each team. Yeah, that the, was cool. I wish I wish Ohio State and Michigan would do that one of these days. I agree. I thought that was fun. It was cool to see both teams in their their Sunday best. Um, you know, first of all, I like two things about this game and there was a lot not to like really in terms of you know how the guys were shooting and all that kind of stuff i like that they never gave up but i think holtman's teams in general have always played really hard throughout games even during that horrendous losing streak last season it never felt like they just stopped trying it just felt like they were bad um so i appreciated the fact that they kept grinding and also just mentally staying tough after a really really bad loss against penn state that you should have had wrapped up on the road uh to go to atlanta and play a pretty good team in ucla uh a team with fresher legs than yours they had i think had like two or three fewer games on the season than ohio state uh i don't know i think this was a really good win for them It, it wasn't pretty and i think you know as predicted their uh their shooting has has kind of fallen off a little bit but in general i think it's something that they can build on going into the break it's not it, it wasn't a great win but it was one that they i think they needed to have at this point in the season reminded me of uh i went to see when uh sullinger was playing on the team i saw them play at northwestern the year he was a freshman Mm -hmm. that was the game where he went behind the back and transition (laughs) ridiculous for a a power forward of that size to do um but the the thing i remember quite infamously about that game was that like nobody could hit a three-pointer which is why it went down to the wire and um it was a John Shire, not John Shire. Why am I saying John Shire? Diebler. John Diebler. <laughs> like, was he, that was the season that he, you know, set the, the school record. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, that was the one game where he could just not hit one. And finally, in like the last minute of the game, I think this game ended like 58-56 final score or something, I think. Mm -hmm. And finally, in the last minute of the game, he got it from the top of the key and he was like 0 for 5, 0 for 6 at that point. He finally hit one. And it reminded me of, you know, this game, Ohio State out with UCLA, because I believe that they were, what, like 0 for 14 or something? They were like Ohio 13 State. from 3 at one point, and then yeah. finally <laughs> Battle hits that That's right. crazy one at the end uh-huh. that really, like, you know, ices it for Ohio State, and it just reminded me of, like, that that's how you know they're a good team because it's good to keep taking those shots like it's good incurred like it's good that they took 13 14 threes as a team period mm-hmm. but the fact that they were able to win in spite of the fact that they didn't make one for basically the whole game <laughs> is encouraging for you know like you just said they they had good shooting to start the season right. the fact that they've been able to grind through that bad bout of variance that just took place shows you know when things are a little bit more smooth maybe they'll be able to compete with the higher level teams even than ucla well and here's the thing so i actually undersold it they didn't hit a three actually neither team hit a three until uh 27 minutes into the game 
which is hilarious. But also, I mean, if you look at the shooting, Ohio State uh, shot 44%, right, on the game, which is not great. I mean, it's not amazing. It's not, you know, awful, but it's not great. Uh, But that's, you know, that includes going one for 15 from three. So it's not like other shots weren't falling. It's just that their shot selection uh, selection was bad, and they just weren't hitting – you know, they weren't hitting those threes that they, they deigned to take. And so it was like every shot was a heat check and they just kept missing it. Um, the stuff that they were doing inside, you know, inside the stripe and all that, they, they were they were hitting shots. Uh, it's just that every time they went outside, they, they just were, you know, ice cold. So to me, like I said, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't go well, but they, you know, they're helped a little bit by the fact that UCLA couldn't hit the broadside of a barn either. Um, UCLA only attempted nine. I guess threes. they were doing their Sunday worst in their Sunday best. That's right. They looked like absolute booty. They kept up with UCLA on the glass. Uh, it wasn't, you know, they they didn't beat UCLA, but it was it was pretty even. Um, got some blocks, decent, you know, decent amount of assists, all that kind of stuff. So in general, you know, again, there are good things to take away from it. Uh, it's just those those threes were not falling as they had been. And I think that's, you know, again, that's kind of the story here with this team is that they're not going to have consistent shooting like you saw, I think, for, you know, several of the, the first half of games here uh, throughout the entire season. You're not going to get that every game. But when you do get it, they're going to be really dangerous. And when you don't, games like this are an indicator that they're still going to be competitive um, in the Big Ten. And that's important. That's that's a big deal because if you want to avoid the January swoons that Chris Altman's teams have had, or you know, in the case of last year, like the entire month of February, then you know you got to have that ability to win games when you know your your heater isn't working. You know what I mean? Like you gotta you gotta be able to go to your second um, your second gear, and that's what they did against UCLA. So I was happy to see that, and I was happy to see Mick Cronin sad because screw that guy. I'm relieved to see an Ohio State team with a legitimate seven-footer again yeah. that isn't named Amir Williams. Yeah, that's right. And Akpara, like, you know, he's 120 pounds soaking wet, but he, he's active. You know what I mean? Like, he gets in there, he bangs, he's, like, trying to do stuff. He's not, you know, he's not Evan Ravenel, and that's fine. But he is, he, he's out there, you know, trying to, to work hard for those rebounds you know, get points in the pain. I appreciate that. I, I like watching him play. And I think if he didn't, if he wasn't on this team, it'd be too easy for opponents to key in on key and get him in oh, sure. trouble and give Ohio State, like, problems. Which is what they did last year, though, management. right? Like, it, yeah. that's exactly what happened with Zed last year, is that he was in foul trouble a lot because they just swarmed him. I mean, it was, you know, and he, he couldn't handle that. So... Um, he definitely brings a different dynamic to the uh, to the court. And I will say that when Okpara isn't on the court and they try to do some other things uh, in terms of like going super small or whatever, that doesn't always work. So you still got to hope that guys like Battle, you know, can hit outside um, and, and kind of keep other teams honest. But uh, in general, like I said, this is a good sign for Ohio State. It was a scrappy win. Uh, they needed it. And, uh, you know, going into to the winter break here, 
we'll see what what kind of team emerges on the other side. So I'm excited for that. I think we'll be good. So before we get to ask us anything, the best part of the show, we will uh, also have to remind you, of course, that we are sponsored by One Medical. So let's hear from those fine folks. The best defense is a good offense, and that goes for your health too. That's why One Medical, the modern doctor's office, is changing the playbook for primary care. With four C-Bus locations and 24-7 virtual care, One Medical helps Buckeye stay healthy. And the relationship with OSU's Wexner Medical Center makes it easy to get access to specialists. To get your 30-day free trial, visit onemedical.com and use the code TRY1MCOL. That's T-R-Y, the number one, M-C-O-L. And that was One Medical. Thanks again for sponsoring the 11 Dubcast. We very much appreciate it. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the questions that you all ask us. We call this, of course, Ask Us Anything. And you can send us questions to ask us anything and ask us literally anything uh, to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Let's go ahead and start with our good friend, Alvin, who wants to know, who is the one player not named Marvin Harrison Jr. you want to come back next year and will have the most impact for Ohio State? next year Travion Henderson Travion Henderson and we talked about this obviously (laughs) but like Ohio State has wide receivers Ohio State has well they're thin at D-line but you can weather that a little bit um Cody Simon's coming back I think that's a huge boost for the linebacker core Uh, you don't I mean you know your your quarterback room is what it is it's got to be Travion Henderson if he can come back I think the entire tenor of the offense changes I think Ohio State is able to do things that they're just simply not able to do uh, otherwise. So for me, it's, yeah, I agree with you. It's 1,000% um, Travion Henderson. And I don't know. I mean, like I said, what's the likelihood of that happening? I have no idea. I have no clue. Uh, if I were him, I'd go to the NFL. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not giving him advice. I'm just saying, like, you know, it's 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 a uh, – it's, a crapshoot for running backs and you never know what's going to happen. Well, I mean, there is the interesting dynamic that it's like, okay, if the shelf life of an NFL running back is already like less than it was. Yeah. Like two for, and a half seasons, basically. If either. you're going to make comparable money and, you know, still get to use a year, one of your good years where you're making as much money as you would anyway, towards a, presumably less likely of getting hurt league of or level of play. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a reasonable argument for coming back. You just got to make sure that the financials line up. Right. And then, I mean, and there's, and maybe they do. I mean, given how much, you know, running backs are getting in the NFL draft nowadays, like it's not, it's not such a stretch to think that it's, it's, you know, it's 50 50 right right and for the same reasons that harrison is still iffy about coming back or not that he has goals that he wants to accomplish right if you have goals that you feel like you didn't get to achieve in your college career and you're going to get paid the same as you would in the nfl you've got more of an incentive to stay and get those done than you would depart with those unresolved and then go and start a new chapter of your playing career so if you feel like you've got unfinished business and you're going to make the same amount of money you might as well for the it's different if you're playing a position like wide receiver or tight end or if you're on defense but for the unique position the running backs find themselves in relative to 
what the market is for that position in the NFL, there's a bet. There's an argument now for staying and playing out your college career. If you're a high level running back with a visible, you know, draft stock, which is what Travion has. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if, I don't know. I, I think that's a, I think that's a good argument and I can kind of see it both ways. You know, like I said, if I were him, I'd be like, peace, like give me the cash I'm out. But there are a lot of other considerations that go into it. And I think that's a, you know, I, I you know, I said this in Slack earlier this week. I, I don't think it's nothing that, you know, these guys talk about wanting to beat Michigan, winning big 10 championship. I think that stuff matters to these guys. And, and, you know, sometimes we talk about the stuff like they're purely mercenary decisions that these guys make. And sometimes that's true, but I don't want to discount, you know, the, uh, the level and the desire for these guys to get a big 10 championship, to get that pair of gold pants. Like that does mean something. It really does. And, um, you know, to, to deny that to those guys, I think would be discounting a pretty strong reason to come back. So, and you know, when we talk about this, when we talk about some of these guys who do end up coming back, I think you'll hear that as a big reason why um, to, you know, because there are things that I think they probably feel is left unfinished. All right. So this is from Kevin who uh, says, guys, I feel like the cotton bowl and all the nice postseason awards are basically just booby prizes. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> In other words, who cares, right? Like, they're not going to the championship. This is this is all. They didn't beat Michigan. This is all yeah. just secondary. Do you feel that way? Are you are you kind of that down? With the exception of Marv's Bolitnikov, yes. Okay, I I I agree about the Bolitnikov. I think that does mean something. Almost every other award, I'm just like, I could not care less unless it's like the Heisman. Um unless Ohio State wins, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> I don't Here's what I'll say. I don't and know. And that goes for Mizzou too. If they if they win, I care. If they don't, it's like ah, that game doesn't matter. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, who cares? I I didn't care anyway. This is they didn't have game. half their team. I wasn't even watching it. Um if we had that Syracuse quarterback, we would have whooped your ass. <laughs> That's right. Uh I Here's so I wrote about this today, and my opinion on this is that I I'm referring specifically to the Cotton Bowl here. My opinion on this is that I think that this is an opportunity for Ohio State to be interesting to 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 tell people about what the team is going to look like in 2024. And the comparison that I drew was to the 2004 Alamo Bowl, where you had a your quarterback was suspended. Uh, for allegedly taking, you know, a $500 handshake from a booster. You had a team that was, you know, I won't say limping in because they had just beaten Michigan, but they, it was like a seven and six team or something like that, right? We're not talking about a team or a seven and five team. It was not a team that was dominant. Um, I think they were ranked like 24th in the BCS rankings or something like that that year. This is not, you know, they were just barely in the top 25 in the AP. So this is not a dominant Ohio State team by any stretch of the imagination, but they had Ted Ginn and Ted Ginn was the most electrifying player in college football. Now I'm saying that Ohio state has that now uh, with, you know, without Marvin Harrison jr. On the field. Um, but it's an opportunity for a guy like Carnell Tate or, you know, some of these other dudes that we haven't seen a lot of, you know, depending who plays, I guess, to really like electrify and, and, Are you and, suggesting Cade Stover is not the most electrifying <laughs> player in college football? 
Uh, no, unfortunately, I, I will have to, to fess up and say that I'm not uh, convinced of that. But, you know, you know, what if you have a JSN performance, right? Like against, you know, Utah in the Rose Bowl. What if something like that happened? Like that possibility to me is more interesting than just trying to hang on with what you already have. So I maybe well, Devin Brown comes we... out. Well, maybe Devin Brown comes out and he like is terrible. Maybe he throws four interceptions and it looks like garbage, but at least that's information. At least you understand what you're dealing with at Ohio State. But if he comes out and does something really interesting, does something really awesome, I think that's the possibility of that is enough for me to get excited about the Cotton. That's that, the only thing I'm that saying. seems like wishful thinking, though, because it, we talked about this last week. <laughs> we because we were saying it's one thing like to remember that JSN had that near 350 yard Rose Bowl performance, but it you don't get that without it being fueled by a <laughs> 576 yard CJ Stroud performance. You're saying Devin, Devin Brown, Brown is not capable is not, of 570 yards of. I would offense. like to see it. I would like to see it. <laughs> Same thing goes for Kineholtz, but yeah. Klein, or Lincoln, but yeah. I this here's why the Cotton Bowl is begrudgingly interesting. Okay, it's a no win situation for Ohio <laughs> State. Yeah. If Ohio State wins, it's like, oh, well, they were a better program than Mizzou anyways. And it's like, oh, it's not even a real SEC. Beat a real SEC right. team, you know. Right. But if Ohio State loses, all the people who today are, you know, doomsdaying over, you know, the Lyle flip and have been doomsdaying over the rest of the transfer portal stuff. Mm-hmm are going to have more ammunition for the programs in free fall. It's a crisis. They needs to be fired. This is a ca- This is a catastrophe. Right. Why is Parker Fleming still around? <laughs> Parker Fleming should have tried harder to keep Lyles. Uh, right. The, so uh, there it, it's, it's a no win situation for Ohio state. You right. need to tune in because if they lose, it's just going to be, more bad momentum relative to when things went off the rails from the Michigan mm-hmm. game. That's, so that's, that's a fair point. And we're going to see it is interesting, but not for good reason. Yeah. Well, and you know, I'm going to try to be optimistic about it. I, I know honestly not nearly as much about Missouri as I probably should at this point. Um, we'll see what happens. And, and I think, like I said, a big part of this game is going to be uh, who decides to return and who's going to be playing in that game. And I think a lot of that's still up in the air. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like here in the next week or so. J- Johnny's putting on a poker face. He knows a lot about Missouri. He was telling me <laughs> on the pre-show. Oh, that yeah, that's right. A field trip. There. I've been to Branson. It's great. Um, Big Shoney's fan, John. Big Shoney's fan got food poisoning after eating there for a solid week. Thank you, Grandma and Grandpa. Um, and I went to a Bass Pro Shops in Springfield, Missouri, where they had like a big tank where you could, you know, fish. It was great. Uh, they had a fish in it, and then you could fish out of it, which is, you know, fun. Um, I forgot to tell you this on the pre-show, but when I drove into, I think it was Memphis, uh, oh, did you go to the gigantic the 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 Louvre? Well, but it's, it's a Bass it's, Pro Shop. It's so funny because you the drive pyramid. in over the bridge, and there's the city skyline perfectly on the right side of the bridge on one side, yeah. and then on the left side of the bridge, it is just 
there's nothing else on the horizon. It is just dominated by this <laughs> stupid Bass Pro Shops pyramid. <laughs> it is the most obscure building in the United States. Yeah. It's it is enormous. That's the thing. Like I don't It has no business being that large for the brand that it represents. Was it? It is so American, it it hurts. What okay. It's so funny. Was it originally Everybody needs to see it. Was it originally a Bass Pro Shops or did they like No, it was not. <laughs> I don't think it was. Okay, but what was it? What like because it's insane that it's a Bass Pro Shop. It is right? a like building. Sh- it is a structure shrouded in mystery. <laughs> the Memphis Pyramid. I gotta look it up. It was a gift from the aliens to Memphis. Because <laughs> they probably built it because it's like, oh, hey, guess what, guys? Our city's name is Memphis. You cannot so we believe need to build how a pyramid. big it is. The biggest building in that city. It's enormous. It is almost as big as like a whole city block in the downtown and it's as tall as the tallest building in the skyline. That's insane. It's, it, it's so insane. It's okay. So I'm looking it up. It's 32 stories tall, <laughs> uh, by some measures, the 10th largest pyramid in the entire world, which is also insane. Okay. So it was supposed to, it was built as a 20,000 seat arena was the point, uh, which is also insane. So it was the home court of okay. So for the Grizzlies and then the University of Memphis, and then both teams left because that's you know obviously. And now it is a, a and now tomb it's the Bass Pro, to that's American right. capitalism. That's right, exactly. Now it's now it's just a oh man. And I'm looking at like the interior of it, I because I've never been to this Bass Pro Shops. So I'm looking at the interior of it. And, I didn't even bother going inside. I oh, probably no, no, should, but I was I was just passing through. And I was like, I need, I, I need to get a picture of, of this ridiculous. It's thing. like, yeah. Well, the the eerie part about it is, it almost like the picture I'm looking at on Wikipedia looks like, um, you know, like a post apocalyptic movie where humanity has like migrated underground and they've kind of created their own little society with like the detritus of you know the above ground. That's what it looks like inside the pyramid. It looks like the like the Morlocks have created like their own like you know fishing related society where it's like all covered in moss and everything's kind of falling apart. Uh, it looks kind of terrifying. Honestly, the gears of war in that. Pyramid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like uh, there's like tons. Like the picture I'm looking at, there's just like crates everywhere, and there's you know string lights and everything. It really looks like it looks like kind of like the like a hellish version of Waterworld, except inside a giant pyramid. Um, it's kind of insane, uh, and I'm sure that people like pay money to you know spend the night in there or something like at a at a hotel or something but that's bonkers anyway uh i haven't like i said you you go camping inside an outdoor sports yeah, shed, no, like I'm what, dude bass outdoor sports shop I am, camping indoors. I, I have let's see they've got a restaurant bar they have aquarium uh bowling alley late an archery range shooting range where they hunt man apparently a laser arcade i'm sorry i totally derailed the show no, for I don't this, care. but it's just too funny no because i've always been curious about it and i you know as a kid i was a big into bass pro shops and i think it's weird that bass pro shops is like now a a trendy brand you know what i mean like everybody wearing their bass pro shops hats like it's a thing 
uh, I had a Brass Pro Shops hat in like the early 90s when it just signified me as a, you know, a crazy, you know, fish loving redneck kid. So um, any anytime I see a, a woman wearing a Bass Pro Shops hat, I ask them if they know about the pyramid. It's a great <laughs> it's a great way to break the ice. None of them know what it is. And I show them the picture of it. And I took it. They're like, what in the That's hell is that thing? This is a real. And they're like, you didn't just make this up to talk to me. This is like an actual thing. That's your end. That's genius, George. I love it that. Yes, it is. You just carry like a wrinkled picture in your bass in your back pocket, and you're like, guys, guys, hey. I'm a, I got a million of them. That's hilarious. Uh, all right, so that was as good as anything. Thank you for sending that, and also for giving us the opportunity to talk about Bass Pro Shops. Um, so real quick, on our way out of here, I do want to mention, and, and I'm curious about your uh, professional Florida man opinion on this, George. Uh, the Florida Attorney General, uh, one Ashley Moody, has said that she is launching an antitrust investigation to the college football uh, playoff committee. Uh, and I'll read this here. Moody said the states. This is a this is a quote from a a quote from the. Uh, an ESPN this is article. a question for Kyle Lamb, by the way, not for me. Yeah, well, let me on the show. <laughs> well, you know, it's I, I gotta get. I'll take what I, I get. Citro on here too. If you don't. <laughs> uh, we'll get the we'll get the Florida Brain Trust to to give us their opinion on this. But Ashley Moody. Uh, Florida Attorney General said that the state's antitrust division is sending a civil investigative demand to the committee. Civil investigative demand actually sounds really official and and scary, but it's probably like a letter where they just can, you know, crumple it and throw it in the trash. But anyway, uh, for, quote, more information about the nature of possible contracts, conspiracies, and restraint of trade or monopolization of trade and commerce relating to anti-competitive effects of the college football playoff. So in other words, they're asking the college football playoff committee, would you please give us any documents saying that you committed fraud? Please. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, look, this has to be grandstanding. I don't imagine if DeWine did this. I think I don't know. Or I don't Gretchen, know how people would whatever react. Gretchen Whitmer did this. Yeah, from, from Michigan. like Michigan. I don't know how people would respond to to that. I I don't know because I mean obviously I don't think anybody in Florida expects this to go anywhere, do anything. I think it's entirely this you know a very cynical ploy to get you know to win political points. But like, do you think it works? Do you think people actually? No, I, I think the this? only reason it's being tolerated is number one, everybody agrees that Florida State was unjustly left out, but also kind of put in an impossible situation relative to what happened with Jordan Travis. Right. But also, like, Florida's brand is already, like, so crazy. I mean, go watch the Grand Theft Auto 6 trailer <laughs> if you don't agree otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which, by the way, was almost entirely them taking real viral videos and then just yeah. putting it into their trailer, which is... Which I, I which I picked up on when I saw it the first time because I live in this state. And I'm right. like, you know what? They, they got the real. vibes correct. The vibes seem accurate relative to real life, yeah. but... Anyway, the the brand not I mean not just like for living here, but I mean even extending into the politics of the state is just like totally nuts. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, this is yeah they would take the time to which I think the uh, the playoff committee president that responded to the the letter from the government like even like made a joke <laughs> yeah, at it. He was, he was like, like That's cute. 
<laughs> I, well, no, he was like, I'm glad that you have so much time to dedicate to college football, right, right. which is like, aren't you a public official? Right. <laughs> Don't you have better things to do? Yeah. Is it? We've had like typhoons down here yeah. all week. Like, I mean, you've been Florida doing something has about solved that. all of its problems and now can spend a million dollars uh, sending FOIA requests to the uh, to the college football playoff committee. I, you know, well, this is this is what politics is now. Is you just keep launching investigations. Yeah, that's so right. That's you know. That's right. And you know, maybe maybe the playoff committee slips up and goes like, "Yeah, we take the, we did it specifically to injure the economy of the state of Florida." That's that's what we're all about. That's we're playing the long game. We're just trying. See to- what they should have done was hire a, a private investigator instead of you know going directly to the front door of the government. I know a in dude. The form of mail. I know a guy who can infiltrate almost any organization, provided that it's uh, you know, <laughs> provided that it's a, a, a mid-level university in Central Michigan. I, I feel like I know a guy. He's yeah, he's see, an expert in disguises. Yeah, see, if Florida anywhere. State's coach had a brother that was capable of doing such espionage, then maybe they <laughs> wouldn't be in this position. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, there you go. That's their own problem. Um, last thing also, the, the Dylan real uh, saga has come to an end. He is uh, now officially uh, with the Huskers, which is, you know, where, where Kyle McCord kind of expected to go. But instead, uh, they get a Dylan Riola, and I don't know, I... <laughs> I was listening on the radio actually this morning. Uh, Joshua Perry, who is a very smart guy that I respect, uh, said that he expects him to be in the portal within, you know, a year or two, which I kind of agree with at this point. Um, I don't, I don't know. Nebraska, sure. You know, I don't think anybody's super shocked by that, uh, given his background and connections and all that. But um, yeah, it doesn't feel like something that'll stick. And not something that I think if you're Ohio State fans, you know, maybe wringing your hands about uh you know other losses i don't know that this is one of those that you can put in that anxiety box i think i think that's separate from that i mean he's just he's in a similar position now as quinn ewers where it's like if you had just been patient yeah i mean look at how things have played out right this probably could have been your job like you wasted you wasted a you wasted a year essentially like, like well, Ewers could have just chilled and been Ohio State's quarterback probably this season beaten McCord out I would imagine for the job in the preseason yeah and then you know I mean you you're presu- I mean he's I mean Texas is in the playoffs so it's not like he made the wrong decision right but it's just interesting that it's like you know if if it really came down to you not wanting to compete for the job you really wouldn't have had to have done it as sternly <laughs> yeah. as you, have done you it anyway. were thinking you were going to have to, when you made the decision to dip, it's now the same thing with Rayola where it's like, if you had just waited, you could have been, you could have had an opportunity to have the keys to the ship at Ohio state, but now you're going to do it at uh, Nebraska. Right. And the, try to rebuild that. the second most glamorous, corn focused program in the big 10 west <laughs> so right you know good luck with that yeah it's um i don't know it's it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out and particularly in that uh 
in that uh, situation. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but, you know, look, there's a lot coming up here. We've got a lot to, to discuss and to talk about. And I think there's going to be a lot of news coming out that will impact the Cotton Bowl in the next week or so. So we'll be back. Yeah, we, got a, we got a bowl game next week. We got it's a, the last game of the season. We got a bowl game to talk about. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's it's less than te- oh, it's like less than a week and a half away. We're going to be there and uh, to talk about it and to break it down and, and get ready for it so until then i'm johnny i'm george and we'll see you next time merry christmas take care folks